Our enemy does seek to destroy us, but there is provision for an evil day, as we'll see next on Truth For Today. are in a battle. As believers in Christ, we have a warfare that we are engaged in on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. But God does not leave us helpless. Hi there. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're continuing our look at Ephesians chapter 6, spiritual warfare, God's provision for an evil day. What is that provision? We'll focus on that today and throughout the rest of the week. Join us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's program. This passage is meaningless, meaningless, if you don't make a transfer of what is this armor, how do you use it, in what area does the enemy attack? And I, in seminary, it was the first time I was ever exposed to satanic attack and the armor to protect yourself against it. We never do defeat the devil. We never have been called to conquer the devil. Only one can conquer the devil. The problem for us is not to be conquered by the devil. The problem with us is not to be given into this crafty, methodical way of deceiving us, of lying to us, of uh, accusing our God, accusing him of wrong motives towards us, to get out of the lies that he brings to us. Now, let's lay some just groundwork here. If Satan was going to attack you, where would he plant the attack? I mean, do you just walk down the road and all of a sudden, boom, I, I, one of his fiery arrows just hit me. Uh, boom, whoa, this room's thick. He must be here. And so then there's a devil behind every bush. How would he attack? Well, he talked to them in the garden. He talked to the Savior when he was tempting him. He can talk. And in his talk, what he can do He can plant thoughts and he can plant ideas that may even seem innocent on the surface and soon they're embraced. Give you an example. Acts 5, Ananias, Sapphira, why have you let Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now the heart in the Bible is the center of your being and really it's not located here. It's located here. The heart and the mind are equal. We, div- we make a difference. Heart is emotion in the way we use it. Mind is cognitive cerebral power. Biblically, the heart of the matter is your intellect, will, and emotion tied up in your mind. So Satan filled their heart, the center of their being, to lie to the Holy Spirit. He put a thought that they embraced. And there's many thoughts and ideas out there, always going around. It's satanic in its origin. It's satanic in getting us to act independent of God, to act uh, against truth, to be deceived, that we did it thinking it was the right, 
when the truth was here. And so Paul picks up here an analogy of a soldier. He happened to be well acquainted with soldiers because he's in prison when he's writing this. And he sees this Roman soldier and he begins to, by analogy, think of us as Christian soldiers. And he says, in essence, you Ephesians, I started you out in the heavenlies in chapter 1, that you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that the Father has chosen you, the Son has forgiven you, the Spirit has sealed you. He has raised Christ from the dead. He raised us from the dead in chapter 2. You've been made rich in salvation by this grace. Chapter 3, no matter of ethnicity, Jew and Gentile have an equal standing before God on the basis of Christ. Chapter 4, I want you to walk worthy in a worthy manner of this high privilege you've been given. Uh, I want you to put off the old works of the flesh. I want you to begin to act out the new man. Chapter 5, I want you to experience spirit filling in your relationships, in your marriage, towards your husband, your wife, your children, slave, masters. And now he comes to the end of the epistle and he says, basically, I want you to take your stand in these things, but I want to make you aware there is an opponent to you enjoying what I've told you about for nearly six chapters. There will be an opponent that says you are not rich in Christ. There is an opponent that will say it is not by grace, it's by something you do. There is an opponent to you having a spirit-filled life, a spirit-filled marriage. It sounds wonderful, but there is a, an opposing adversary that wants to rout you from that kind of a life. And the adversary is none other but the devil. So he's going to begin to describe, let me tell you how you must arm yourself in order not to be moved from this kind of life. Not to go back, not to give ground, not to be intimidated out of this kind of life. Uh, and every once in a while we deal with someone who's gone back. They've abandoned the biblical way of the home. They've abandoned uh, their standing in Christ from the riches of I'm in forgiven, I, I'm, I can't get enough. They uh, start doubting their salvation, start doubting if the word of God will really work. Trials have a way of eroding confidence. And so we begin to see we're set up to be deceived set up to be lied to. Now, how do, we, how do we use the armor of God against our adversary? And we're going to begin to look at that. There's three things I want us to at least look at today that God has provided for the evil day. Number one, he has provided power for that day. And uh, the question comes up, the evil day. There's a, quite a debate over that among Greek scholars, because it has a definite article, the evil day. Does the evil day mean all the time or a particular time of trial? And I think the best view is the whole era of being in this world is a war zone. We're at war, but not every day a soldier's engaged in war is he necessarily engaged in battle. 
So the whole era is evil, but within that battle zone, there are days in particular that it is the evil day. You are under particular attack in your soul and you're feeling all these thoughts coming at you and you say, I'm in an evil day. And it's true. It's when Satan unleashes. See, the devil doesn't bother a lot of people because you don't want to wake up the sleeping. So uh, someone says, well, you know, he's talking about something I've never experienced. I'd be a little concerned because he never bothers his own. He's already got you. And he never bothers saints that he's already routed them. It's those who are standing in the armor, still engaged in the warfare, that will feel the most attack. And they'll be on the front line. Those who've gone AWOL, they say, I don't, I don't get any arrows. No, you don't. You're back here getting drunk at the bar. You've gone AWOL. You're behind the lines. You don't even know the, the war is hot and heavy at the front. And so many bail out of this Christian army just to get relief from the satanic opposition. But he says, number one, there's power for this day. And we'll look at that. And the way this power will be demonstrated is there's protection. And the protection is in the form of armor. God has provided divine armor for us in the day of battle. And third thing I would like to look at is there's a divine purpose for the evil day. And the divine purpose is that you not give an inch to the adversary. So let's begin to look at it. He says in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. And he begins to tell us about the armor. There is power for the evil day. It's an interesting uh, verse there. The word be strong in the Lord. Uh, it's a passive. And it's given uh, the language man a little problem with it. An active use, I hit the ball. I, I produce the action of the verb. That's active. Passive is, I was hit by the ball. It, I didn't create the action of the ball. I received it. And what he's saying here in a passive, let yourselves or get your strength from the Lord. You're not the source of strength you need for this battle. Get your strength from God in the day of battle. And you've got verses like this all over the Bible that God's people are never in themselves adequate to the foes we're told to meet. God's got bigger giants for you to face than you can handle. There are Goliaths all through the land. And David, you're not big enough. You're not strong enough. 
You're not even good enough marksman to take it on. Unless you come to the giant in the name of the Lord, you're not going to succeed. We are outnumbered and we are outgunned and the enemy is much stronger and more active in this world at times than any place we could see God's hand. So he's warning them, you must get a empowerment from God to withstand in this evil day. You, you can't make it. You won't even hardly have the power to put the armor on. So he's saying something very powerful to them. He's told them to be filled with the Spirit. He's told them that God has manifested great power in raising Christ from the dead and manifested great power in raising them in salvation from spiritual death. So he's just telling them, I want you to know in this battle, you don't have enough strength in and of yourself and you'll quickly find out you will be dead meat in your own power. Because this, this enemy makes you look like a fool because you are. He's the wisest opponent God has ever given us. And we get deceived enough by our own hearts without the devil. So he's a roaring, slithering lion serpent. And we need a divine empowerment. And so God is saying, finally, be sure you're getting your strength from me and that nothing cuts off that supply line. Be sure you're strong in the Lord's power. And that is simply a way of saying, be sure you're operating off of divine strength and not your slick ways, your human whatever. Be sure you're abiding in this vine. Be sure you're dependent on heaven for your resources. If you're in a proud state or if you're in a self-reliant mode or I can handle this and I know how to do this, watch out, watch out. You're not drawing on divine resources and you're just going to be a statistic. You're going to be laying down on the battlefield, as Pilgrim says, Apollyon hits him, knocks him down. Uh, you're easy prey. None of us are a match for the opponent. Know that from the get-go. You can't cast out anything. You can't even cast out a, de you know, a demon out of a peanut. Who you think you are? You think God's afraid of us? Or rather Satan? My, he's run around with spirit beings. He's running around with the Nebuchadnezzars of this world. He's hung out with Saddam Hussein. Who are you? So you want to have a trembling on one side that I don't have the power. And that's just where God wants you because he's got a bunch of promises for you if you'll come to him for power. You hear promises like this. And I just wish you had the language inside you. They're just simple. They're very simple, but they just enrich it. Philippians 4.19. I can do all things through Christ. And here's how it goes in the Greek. Who infuses, who infuses his power in me. I can do anything if he's infusing his power in me. 
So on one hand, he says, the power is God's, but when that power is unhindered in going through me, I can do anything God wants me to do in his will. And what a wonderful thing. I'm walking in his spirit. I'm controlled by his spirit. I don't have to be afraid of the roaring lion. I don't have to be afraid of the Goliaths of this world. If my strength source is Jehovah's strength, I need not be intimidated. Uh, you've got a passage like this. I just summarize it. We've got uh, a man leading two million people that are disorganized, confused, rabble-rousers among them. They were proved to test the Lord ten times before it's over. And you get him down here between the devil and the deep blue sea, but it happened to be the Red Sea. And you get him right up here in Exodus 15, and he looks behind him, and here's Pharaoh's army in full charge. In front of him is a body of water he cannot cross. Among him is a bunch of rabble-rousers who are saying, we ought to kill Moses. He sold us on a lie. He said, God wants to deliver, and we're out here ready to be massacred. And what does God say to Moses? Moses, you're able. No. Moses, flex your rod and show off your strength. No, he said, you stand still, Moses, and see the salvation of the Lord. You just trust me. I'll be the power for the exodus. Not only by blood am I delivered, I'm delivered by power. And you watch when I get through with Pharaoh and his horsemen. Miriam's going to need three tambourines to sing this song. Because the power is so astronomically great I'm just going to just flick a little bit of my power. The Red Sea will roll back. So I've got all the power my people need to win any victory. You just got to be sure you're drawing on it. And he stands still there. Finally says, would you put the rod on the water? And Charlton Heston led them through. (laughs) Over and over. Uh, God wants to share his power with his people. Why is it that so many believers lack strength? Why is it? I mean, they can't overcome the least little thing. And pretty soon you have anemic Christianity. I I can't do this and I can't do that. And I just wrote down some of the things that cut us off from that power. Number one, if you don't believe God can do it, he won't do it for you. If you don't believe God can do it, He can do it, but he won't do it for you. Unbelief never changes his power. It just turns off the tap of the power to your life. He never honors unbelief. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of all who believe that he can do it. If you believe God can do it, you can draw on the resources. It's just faith. You know what? The whole Christian life is faith. How do you walk in the spirit? You trust God. How do you overcome temptation? You trust God. How do you draw on God's strength? You trust God. You rely on God. The biggest enemy to your whole Christian life is to get you where you stop trusting God. And you take over and you move in your strength. And then we meet with burnout, frustration, Uh, And it's never God's strength for you to be passive. 
God wants you engaged in this warfare. He wants you engaged in Christian service. God doesn't energize the passive. This is a very active thing to be relying on God. Uh, there used to be a movement that called let, God, let go, let God. And it taught a passivity that we're just in the boat and we just trust God. That is the wrong view of biblical faith. Biblical faith is actively trusting God for the resources to do what you understand God's will to be. But unbelief is the enemy. It's the number one enemy. And always when there's unbelief, this is why there's prayerlessness. Why talk to someone I don't trust? Why ask God when I don't believe him? I might as well save my time. Go out and plant a, a, you know, a bulb or something. I don't want to ask anyone for anything that I don't trust. So unbelief is the source of our prayerlessness. You don't believe me for anything anyway, so don't go through a ritual to hear, no, I won't give it. And so all of a sudden people say, God doesn't answer prayer. He never has answered unbelieving prayer. And he never will. Uh, you know, I, I think for the last, uh, I would say for the last three months in my own spirit, uh, I just keep hearing this little uh, refrain uh, from God. Do you ever get in those spiritual gripe sessions where we said the church would be better if we had this? Or the, this, I need this. And, I, and you just start saying, we don't have this, we don't have that, boom, boom, boom. And all I just have been hearing for three months, it's real simple. Ask me. Ask me. Don't tell me what you don't have and never ask me. But sometimes it's more fun griping than it is asking. It's easier. You don't need faith to gripe. You need faith to ask in prayer. Lord, we don't have, I don't hear you asking. Others, you don't want me to tell you what we don't have? No, I don't. You haven't asked me. And I started asking him for some things, and sure enough, he gave them. Unbelief cuts me off from this strength I need for this evil day. And what it does, unbelief shuts me off from my communication system. I lose my walkie-talkie out there, and I need to know if reinforcements are coming. I need communication system when I'm in war. I need to be in contact with headquarters. I got to know that this operation is being run by greater intelligence and prayer is my walkie-talkie in war. Are you there, Lord? What do I do next? But if I move into unbelief, you know what? I think the enemy has bombed out headquarters. I don't think headquarters exist anymore. Headquarters doesn't care if I get killed out here. They won't send any reinforcements. Well, don't ask. You've talked yourself into total defeat. Faith leads to really effectual prayer. Third thing is we just get too distracted to depend on God for divine resources. Uh, you know, one of the most distracting things I find is to inherit a car that always stays on E. And nobody has it in their time schedule to pull into a gas station. And I've never seen yet a car that comes that says automatically will be filled. Automatically. You say, well, how dare you let my car run out of gas? Well, well, friend, there's a station about three blocks. Well, you have to pull in there stop, don't you? Yeah. You have to put it in there. Yeah. 
And, and we have believers say, well, I'm just too busy working for God to stop and refuel. You're not too busy for a nervous breakdown. You're not too busy to resign. You're not too busy for burnout. You're not too busy for frustration to replace joy. It's just, you don't have time to stop and be refueled. It's hard for some of you to go to church on Sunday. I mean, you'd be getting so many things done for God today. But you had to just come in here for a pit stop and uh, get a quick tune-up. And so uh, how do you appropriate this power? Well, asking for it. Uh, one thing I would, re I would always recommend is remain close to the source of the power. Pastor Phil Howard here in our series, God's Design for Life. Getting a clue, an understanding, an idea of just how much God really loves us and the design that He has for your life and mine. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, and as we conclude our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that there might be those of you who would enjoy hearing this program again. As always, we have copies available on CD. Simply call or write to us or stop by our website. You can reach us by phone at 855 833 9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. As you contact us, please bear in mind that we do continue this radio broadcast here on this station through the generous support of Truth For Today sustainers, folks just like you. With your dollars, as you partner with us financially, we'll provide to you, as our way of saying thanks, a quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. It's all available for you as you partner with us financially. For more information, give us a call. Our phone number, once again, is 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Thank you.